And here we go. You heard it there in the intro. Call it how I see it. I always will. Whether you like it or not, well, that's a different story, but that is still your problem, not mine. I'm your host, Stephen A. Norman, back with another edition of the show late on an NFL Sunday night. So obviously, what, do, what am I going to be talking about? Well, what else but the Patriots and the Jets from MetLife Stadium today in East Rutherford, New Jersey, wouldn't want to be there. What am I going to talk about? Well, it's easy. The big turnover, obviously, by Austin Safarian Jenkins. And I probably butchered that name, but it is a tongue twister. You try to say it quickly. Anyways, I'm going to tell you why. That was a big play, but not the turning point of the game, or at least not to me. The turning point of the game came a lot earlier. I'm going to tell you who made it and why it turned the game around. Also, the thoughts on the defense. Did they play better this week? Did they not? I've heard a lot of different opinions in the short few hours since the game ended. I'll give you my thoughts on that. Obviously, the offense struggles again, second week in a row. Why is that? The line looked better. That's going to be a little teaser. I still think the line played better this week than they have in other weeks, although it's not saying much against the Jets. And next week is the real test. That's the Atlanta Falcons at home Sunday night from Gillette Stadium. I know Atlanta loses today, so it's not quite the 4-1 and Falcons coming in, but the 3-2 and Falcons, and they lost to an AFC East opponent, but still a good team, good quarterback, a lot of offensive weapons, and a defense in the Patriots defense, I should say, that has struggled mightily up until this point. So with that said, let's get into it. I'm going to start with that big turnover. It was a huge point of emphasis, obviously, in this game. Patriots up 10 The play that originally was ruled a touchdown on the field, as all touchdowns are, it is reviewed. Now, I'm going to break this down for all of our, you know, all of my listeners or anyone who will tune into the show here tonight or today and the following days, because Dan Fouts, an NFL uh, quarterback or, you know, retired NFL quarterback who was calling the game today, and I wish I could have just pushed the SAP button on my TV because listening to him was painful, as it usually is. But let me explain to you why this was the ruling on the field, and how I feel about the call. And everyone has their own opinion. I've heard so many. The ruling on the field was simple, okay? It's simple when you break it down by the rule book, at least, okay? The player had caught the ball. Jenkins had caught the ball. He then was stripped by it. It was either Butler or Harmon. You couldn't really see whose hand it was that got in there. He lost control of the ball after making a football move, which is what rules it a catch, He then lost control of the ball and was juggling it. Before he controlled the ball, he landed out of bounds. Okay, so what does that mean? It means it's a touchback. It's similar to if if a ball is caught by a player running to the one-yard line about to score and they drop the football and it goes out the back of the end zone, it is a touchback and it goes to the other team. Now, the rule is stupid. Okay, I don't agree with it. I feel like if a player fumbles the ball on the one-yard line and it goes out of the back of the end zone but no one recovers it, I believe that that team should retain the ball and get it from where the ball was fumbled. Not forward, not back, but from where it was fumbled. But in the rule book, people, that is not the way the rule states that the play is supposed to go. So, 
the refs made the right call. They didn't on the field. This goes back to New York, who is looking on, you know, from all the different angles and the replay units. These are not the officials on the field who made the call. They called touchdown. But that is why the play worked the way it did. Now, Dan Fouts couldn't get this through his stupid head and would not stop talking about it. Now, is it worth talking about? I'm talking about it, so I obviously feel it is. But why he couldn't get it was was baffling. I was yelling at the TV like an idiot, as you can imagine, saying, will you just shut the bleep up, okay? So I'll leave it at that. Because as stupid as I think the rule is, they made the right call, okay? That is the right call. Now, you can say that you don't agree with that being the right call, and that's fine. We could debate that till the cows come home. I'm not going to disagree with you. I don't think that is how the play should be called. But in the rule book, that's what it states. That's how it's going to be, and that's what the call was. So deal with it. It may be stupid, but deal with it. Now, would we be yelling and screaming our heads off if we had that happen to us? And I say we. I hate when I do that. If the Patriots had that happen to them, would fans be crying about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you don't really have a leg to stand on when it's properly called. You may not like it, but it's the proper call. With all that said, because that's about as much as I'm going to get into that right now. Was that the turning point of the game? Because some people will say that it definitely was. That's a touchdown. It goes the other way. The Patriots get the ball back. And I disagree. I disagree for one point. I think the biggest turning point of the game came in the second quarter when Malcolm Butler made an interception on Josh, Josh McGowan, who, you know, kind of, you know, threw it was supposed to be to the outside shoulder by the sidelines. Butler read it great, makes the pick, turns it over. The Patriots end up scoring. That was a big play because the Jets were up 14 to 7 at that point. It looks like they're going to add on more points. And just like that, you flip the tide. You get the ball back, and the Patriots go down there and score right before the half. Okay, right before the half, and they put up, you know, seven there. They get the ball to start the third quarter, and what do they do? They march down the field, Rob Gronkowski touchdown. So that's where the game really flipped to me because it was 14-7. to The Jets are looking to add at least three points onto that lead. So you're looking at at least 17-7. to Maybe 21 to 7, and instead you have 14 to 14. You come out the second half, and the Patriots do what past Patriots teams have done an amazing job, an incredible job of doing, which is why Belichick defers the ball when he wins the coin flip so often, is because he wants the ball to start the second half. Why? So he can score before the end of the first half and then possibly score at the beginning of the second half, which is really just a kick to the nuts of any other team. And that's what the Patriots did today. Now, when that happened, you expect them to start to roll, right? The offense is getting in gear. The defense had had three um, stops up to that point. Um, And you just expect the team to start rolling, right? Well, they did to a certain extent, but they never really pulled away like you expect Patriots teams to do. And a lot of that was the offense. So when I look at what the offense has done the past couple weeks – it's been under underwhelming, to say the very least. They're struggling to move the ball uh, and really put up those points that we're so used to seeing them. And that, honestly, they did earlier in the season. Um, you know, although it was different than what we've seen from past teams with, you know, the, the short routes, it's, it's been longer routes and there hasn't been a lot of running, which has never been a, a staple of the Patriots to begin with, but um, not as much to the backs um, until recent weeks. But now that 
they've struggled. Tampa Bay, you know, they struggled in that game. They moved the ball, but they didn't put up points. And in this game, they, they really did the same thing. You know, they still had 375 yards of offense. Uh, Brady still com- completed 20 passes. Um, they ran the ball very well. Uh, first, first game of the season where I can say they really established the run, 118 yards on 25 carries. They averaged over four and a half yards a carry. Um, so they did a lot of good things in that respect um, or in the running game aspect of it, but really didn't put this Jets team away. And I know the Jets were three and two, but I mean, did anyone really think they were going to hang today with the Patriots? Uh, you know, I saw the spread anywhere from nine to 10. It kind of fluctuated between those numbers uh, throughout the week. Patriots pull it out, you know, with a seven point win in the end, but that's not really the story. The story is kind of the offense didn't really do what it needed to do. They converted seven of 13 uh, third downs. The offensive line looked much better. Uh, Solder had a couple of plays where uh, I thought he really showed he had a nice cut block on one of Brady's completions, and I saw that right off the left side. It was nice to see the offensive line not be a glaring problem this week, and they weren't. They really weren't. Brady did have time. He wasn't rushed a whole lot. Uh, he was not sacked today. Uh, with that said, the Jets' defensive line coming into this game, we're so used to saying that the defensive line of these Jet teams are, you know, powerful and a handful. They they only have one sack coming into this game uh, from their line. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it's not saying a whole ton, but still, nice to see, uh, you know, a line that struggled this year, you know, come through and actually give Brady time. But, you know, with that said, you gave him all the time that he needed, and it's it just didn't look like what you're used to seeing. I mean, it wasn't what I was, you know, we're used to seeing as fans from this team. Now, on the positive side, they did stay with the run today. Now, people will say, Steve, you're, you're too negative. You're too negative. So I'm going to be a little positive. I'll give you guys a breath of fresh air. I'm going to give you a little positivity before uh, maybe I get negative again. Maybe, meaning probably, yeah, most definitely. But anyways... They stuck with the run. I didn't think they were going to. I mean, I even made a comment on uh, on the Facebook page, Call It How I See It Sports, facebook.com backslash Call It How I See It Sports, little plug there for myself. But anyways, you know, they stuck with the run. I, I had made a comment that I didn't think they were going to stick with the run. Brady has thrown the ball this season 35 times or more in every game, and that continued today. He had 38 passes. Um, something that he only did in six of his 12 games last year, which was throw the ball over 35 times. And I had said, listen, they're going to throw it, you know, at least four, I'm thinking to myself, at least 45 times today. They kept that number under because they did stick with the run even when they got down, which is something that most teams, you know, will veer away from. They're not going to stick with running the football because it takes time. And obviously you're not making the big chunk plays that you can get in the pass game. But they did. They did. And, and Deion Lewis, 11 carries, 52 yards. Gillisley, he had that, that key fumble. You didn't see him quite get as much after that, and for good reason. You know, Belichick, if you fumble the ball, you're in the doghouse. Someone else is going to take over. But Gillisley had 10 for 44 yards. Uh, James White pitched him with uh, three rushes for 23, and Brady was uh, one rush for a negative one yard. But the positive was is you saw the run kind of get going. Uh, and then in the passing game, uh, Brandon Cooks had a big game. He had a drop to start the game, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, geez, you know, here we go. The, the, the big weapons not going to come through for this team, and they needed to. It was on a quick 
a little out pass to the wide receiver, not quite a screen, something that I think that the team should try more with him because he has such great speed. So you get some blocking out in front of him and he can really make one, two people miss and then he's off to the races. But he, he drops it, but he comes back. He has six receptions, 93 yards on nine targets. Pretty good numbers, pretty good numbers. Gronkowski, a huge game again. They stuck a safety on him, Mike Adams, the rookie out of LSU. Great player. I like him. He is definitely going to be a player in this league, but he can't cover Rob Gronkowski one-on-one. Not many people can. That's not a, uh, you know, a pick on this guy, but that's, you're not going to cover him. Six receptions, 83 yards, the two touchdowns, Danny Amendola, the Dola, three receptions, 40 yards, and White had four receptions. And Chris Hogan, only one reception in this game. Brady only looked at him four times. Philip Dorsett, obviously, you saw on the big interception and uh, a couple of other passes, Brady went to him three times. So I'm just kind of giving you kind of the rundown there to give you an idea where Brady was looking and, and kind of what the, the offensive game plan was or the weapons that were used in the offense. And they just, you know, for, for all the, the good numbers that I just read off, it didn't translate to on the field, or at least it didn't look like it did. Uh, they only scored 24 points in this game. You know, Gostowski misses a kick uh, that he should have had. Uh, you know, it's going to happen. I'm not going to rag on him. I'm not going to get all over him and start making a big deal out of the kicker. You know, every you know, all kickers are going to miss a kick throughout the season. So that's the way it works. But, you know, even with that 27 points opposed to the 24 that they end up with, not saying that every point doesn't matter, but that's not going to really change the spectrum of what the offense looked like. On the flip side, the defense, yeah, that defense again, Josh McCown, Josh McCown, okay, 38-year-old Josh McCown threw for 354 yards today. Now, he threw two picks. One was really, you know, just a heave-ho, but, you know, and he threw the one big one, obviously, to, um, to Malcolm Butler, which was the turning point of the game in my mind. Um, but you know, once again, he carved you up and he was throwing the ball to, I mean, if I read to you all the receivers for the jets that caught a pass, in fact, I will Jermaine curse caught a pass and, and not just one. I'm just stating off names of receivers who caught at least one curse, Anderson, Curley, Forte, Safarian Jenkins, cadet Thomas Stewart. I mean, he hit a lot of receivers there. He hit more than Brady did. And that doesn't usually happen. Brady spreads the ball around pretty well. But he was carving up this team. And, and this goes back to the coaching of the Jets. My next point is, is they were stupid. They ran the ball 24 times. The Patriots ran at 25. But the Patriots were 4.7 yards a carry. The Jets, on the other hand, 3 yards a carry. They were getting stuffed up the middle constantly. And on crucial downs, by the way. Now, they converted a lot of those third downs that they had especially on those first two drives where I think they were four or five, uh, you know, and just on those two touchdown drives, and the Patriots just couldn't get off the field on third down. And it's been a constant issue, a reoccurring issue with this team. But the Jets played right into the Patriots' hands because I think they ran the ball too much. They had to go with the Patriots. And not with rollout plays and rollout passes, I should say, and dump passes. I'm talking about the big chunk plays, the plays that this team has given up week in and week out uh, all season long because they were hitting them on this. Um, you know, and there were some blown coverages there in the first half, especially. Obviously, the Jets, you know, have 14 points in the first half and convert those four or five uh, third downs. Was it five or six at one point? Uh, and big plays. And. 
you have to think to yourself, why didn't they just keep going to that? Now, I understand you want to be somewhat balanced, but they couldn't get anything up the middle. Malcolm Brown had a great game. Alan Branch, we didn't hear a ton of his name, but he was in there more after being a healthy scratch against Tampa Bay last week. So why did the Jets slow the game down and run as much as they did? I think it's stupid. I think it's Jets. It's typical, uh, as was the fumble call. I mean, you would expect that to happen to the New York Jets. That's what's supposed to happen to them. But they're not supposed to be there uh, on the last drive of the game with a chance to score the game-tying touchdown after being down 10 points to the New England Patriots. That's not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to happen, and that's what scares me. So with that said, and the one other thing the Jets did that was so typical of this team, and I'm just laughing, is on their first possession of the second half, they used two timeouts, which came back to bite them late in this game, maybe not quite as much as as it usually would for a team trying to make a comeback at the end of the game and and needing to use those timeouts, but they did use two of them um, on that first drive, and I'm just, it's it's Jets football, that's Jets football, and you just have to laugh at it, as I did, because I'm saying to myself, the stupid Jets, the stupid Jets, but yet they hung around with you, they hung around with you, and that's what scares me. We all, we all, from a lot of people that I heard talking about the game, including myself, I figured that this team would steamroll the Jets. I thought they were going to come in here and steamroll this team. And instead, they came in here, looked flat, and gave up 14 points to start a game, uh, including an 88-yard drive, which was the longest or is the longest of the Jets' whole season. So they didn't look good to start, and, and this is a this is a common occurrence now this season. Every game. They're going down to the wire every game. They're finding ways to let the other team back in. Unlike the game against the Tampa Bay Bucks on Thursday, which was 10 days ago, the team had 10 days to get ready for this Jets team. I didn't feel like they were in control of this game all the way. Obviously, you're never in control of the game when you're down 14 points to start and you haven't put you know anything on the board, but... I didn't feel like they were in control, and it wasn't until the second half when they got that touchdown uh, right out of the half that I felt like they were really in control of the game. Then I did, and I calmed down a little bit, you know, relaxed, and finally stopped pushing the panic button. But you know, then at the end of the game, there they are again, up ten, and that, and then the turnover for the Jets there, which was, you know, once I said, like I said, the right call. But that's what's saving the Patriots in this game. That's not that's not what should save them if you're a championship caliber team against a 3 and 2 Jets who are supposed to be rebuilding. Don't let the record fool you. This is the New York Jets. They have played well. I give them credit for what they've done, especially with the personnel that they have on the offensive side of the ball. They do not have a ton of weapons, and they've done a decent job. They've done a decent job. I have to give them credit. I hate to because I rather laugh at them and Woody Johnson is a joke of an NFL owner, but They hung with you, and they're not supposed to. They're not supposed to. And, you know, just like you should have really ran away from Tampa Bay the week before, just like you should have beat Carolina when you lost to them, just like that game against the Texans shouldn't have been that close. The list goes on and on. So it's starting to become a a week-in and week-out problem where this team either lets the other team hang around um, by shooting themselves in the foot with stupid penalties, hands to the face, uh, which the Jets got one called on them today. I almost uh, had a double check to, f- to see if that was even you know in the rule book that another team besides the Patriots, who I feel like have uh, copy 
ridden the uh, the hands the illegal hands to the face penalty this season that, that they could get one. Um, I didn't realize that they could. They they could though. They indeed could. They did. But uh, a little stupid joke. But anyways, the point being is this team is letting teams hang around, and that's why I think next week against the Atlanta Falcons is, is going to be another big test. Now Atlanta, quick brief rundown. We all know. About the Super Bowl last year, I'm not going to restate that, and I'm not going to talk about how that will play into this week's game. Okay, Different season, different team. We see that from this Patriots team. So I'm not going to start comparing last year's game plan to what the Patriots are going to do Sunday night at Gillette. Not going to do that. But I do feel the Atlanta Falcons, who have come down to earth, as I expected, um, you know, are now 3-2. and two. I think that they're still a complete team. And with offensive weapons, um, I think probably the best weapons that the Patriots will see or have seen all season up until this point. And this is a real game that's a real test. I'm going to watch this game very carefully. Even you know, even though I watch all games carefully, I'm more excited, I should say, for this one because I think it's going to be the biggest test so far. You have a good quarterback in Matt Ryan who has a lot of offensive weapons. You have a fast defense on the other side of the field who we already know can get after quarterbacks. So how do the Patriots, for one, combat the Atlanta Falcons' speed on the defensive side of the ball, especially where the Patriots have been uh, using uh, longer plays, more vertical passes uh, they run today? So is that something that they try to do against Atlanta? I think they should, but I don't want them to stay with it too long. I'm not a big, huge proponent. Uh, or, you know, a fan of the run game. That's not how you win NFL football games. So anyone that says, pound the ground, pound the ground, that's I love LeGarrette Blunt. You got to get him in there because he can really run the rock. Yeah, yeah, save it, all right? See what that wins you in shootout games or games you need to put points up there. See if that really wins against good teams. It's not going to. And it won't against Atlanta. So if that is the game plan that Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick come up, God help the Patriots because they'll need it. Now, on the other side, I think the the Patriots are going to need God because Matt Ryan, although I don't think the offense has uh, played the way it did last season, Matt Ryan's not having the season he had last year, which was an MVP season. He's still a good quarterback, and there are still plenty of weapons. And out of the backfield, obviously, we know Julio Jones and that receiving core. So what do the Patriots do? Now, I think without Stephon Gilmore this week, who as much as, you know, I've ragged on the guy – I think he's definitely better than anything the Patriots had out there today in the secondary or fill-ins for who they had out there today. We'll see if Eric Rowe can finally go. You know, the groin has been a problem going back to two weeks ago uh, against Carolina when he went out. Uh, wasn't able to play last week either. Um, so now you look at it and say, is Eric Rowe back? Is Stephon Gilmore back, who was scratched from the game late today? with uh, concussion symptoms. Uh, Apparently he's been having headaches, uh, which occurred, I guess, on a play, a crossing pattern to Mike Evans on that Thursday night, which is, you know, 10 days ago, where apparently he hit his head hard on the turf. I I haven't gone back to look at the play, so I don't know exactly where it happened. But that, you know, he wasn't on the injury list all all week, and then, you know, he scratched from the game late today. So will he be back? Because I feel like as, as much as his play has been, below par, below average to especially what we expect out of someone of his abilities and what we paid him, what the Patriots paid him, I, I think it it is important that this defense gets him back because, once again, the pass rush today was kind of non-existent. I know they, they registered four sacks uh, for a loss of 20 yards, but 
It's not a consistent pass rush. Although they do have players who can get after the quarterback. You didn't hear Wise's name today. You really didn't hear Flowers' name. He had one pass deflection that really stood out to me. But besides that, I didn't feel like he was on the field. Malcolm Brown played well, as I alluded to earlier. But, you know, he's up the middle guy. He's not going to get after the passer. So if you give Matt Ryan time back there, just like if you give Brady time, usually they're going to carve you up. So let's see what they do. And I think it's going to be interesting because this is a real test. And, you know, Miami goes into Atlanta today and takes care of business against the Falcons, who went up in that game 17 points at home. That's the second time that Atlanta has lost a home game to an AFC East opponent this season. They lost also uh, to Buffalo a few weeks back. So, you know, I'm not saying Atlanta is the, the top team in the NFL, uh, but I do think they're in that top tier, and I do think that they're one of the most complete teams. I think they're more complete right now than you are. Uh, so with that said, that's why I'm looking so 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 much uh, excitement around this matchup. So with that said, I want to go to Sunday's standouts this Sunday uh, against the, the, the Jets, as we talked about throughout this episode. I thought that Malcolm Butler, Although he blew a few coverages, at least three in the first half, he also had that big pick and played pretty much shut down corner in the second half. So I want to give him a standout, a round of applause, Malcolm Butler, finally with at least a good second half of the game. Malcolm Brown, great against the run today. I talked about it. The Jets could not get the run going. A lot of that had to do with Malcolm Brown being sturdy up the middle. He was almost a rock there. Jets could not run the football under or just over I'm sorry three yards a carry today uh Brandon Cooks some big catches a 42 yarder down the sidelines obviously tiptoe Brady put it right in the bread basket it looked beautiful and he had six catches so he was a standout he's starting to really look like he's a, a dependable receiver for this team and uh you know little by little he's no Randy Moss people made big uh you know big comparisons to that uh with that offseason move but you know, still played really well today. And Gronkowski, he finally looked like the real powerful standout Gronk. Two touchdowns today, just looked uncoverable. Big target, you know, just going up there and making, you know, big defenders look like little children. I mean, the the Jets' Mike Adams, I mentioned it earlier, is a good safety. He's a strong kid. He's tall. And, and Gronkowski just kind of, you know, overruled them in <laughs> any judgment call, any, uh, you know, ball that was up in the air. And last but not least, the standout uh, for today, I want to give some props to the offensive line, which although, like I said, the Jets didn't have a powerful rush coming into the game, um, neither did Tampa Bay last week, uh, and they kind of fixed that. So although I don't think the defense played well and the offense didn't play you know, particularly well, uh, as was noted, um, you know, and I'm still not up on this team right now. I'm still not sold on this team. At least the offensive line made a, you know, a little bit of a comeback in this game and kept Brady upright and and, and it wasn't really rushed or hurried too much. Still, with 10 days, I expect a better performance against the New York Jets team. 10 days to prepare for this game, and this is what it was. But 24-17, Patriots win from East Rutherford, New Jersey, as I mentioned. So quickly, quickly as I wrap up the show here, um, what I'm looking for against the Atlanta Falcons this week and uh, points of emphasis that I'm going to watch and I think you should too. How does the Patriots defense play against a top quarterback in Matt Ryan? Patriots defense has given up at 300 plus yards to every quarterback they face this year. So how do they play against Matt Ryan? What is the defensive scheme? 
with hopefully a healthy, uh, you know, uh, Stefan Gilmore and maybe Eric Roback. If they have those pieces, how does that secondary look against good offensive weapons like the Falcons have? And does Brady bounce back uh, from an average week? And does the offense bounce back with him? So does the offensive line carry over with a, at least a good production from your run? And does Brady bounce back? I think the left shoulder, we didn't talk about it, but I think it bothered him a little bit today. Although I didn't really see much, I just have to believe that that is a little bit uh, you know, in, in the back of his mind and, and maybe with how does he fall and... and you know, have to worry about that. But so, how do they play next week? And finally, um, do the D, do this defense make any strides coming this week? I feel like I say this every week, but is this a week that, like I said, with a healthy roster? Um, because I don't think you can look at the corners that they had out there today. You know, Jordan Richards out there a lot, um, Patrick Chung, Chung in coverage a lot, and the kid that they got from Detroit, who's really a special team, or number twenty-nine. I'm drawing a blank on his name. I know I shouldn't, but I am. I don't think that those are you know a real matchup against Atlanta. But if you have your top corner out there and Stephon uh, Gilmore, you know top corner. I say top corner. I think Malcolm Butler is your best corner. But um, Gilmore out there with maybe Eric Rowe. Do you get a real idea of what this team is against another uh, good offensive team? I think you do. And what is that going to show us? So that's what I'm looking for. That's what you should look for too. So there you have it. That's been another episode of Call It How I See It with your host, Stephen A. Norman. Thank you for loaning me your ears once again. Follow the show. Check out the Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Call It How I See It Sports. You can see articles, videos from around Boston Sports World and also uh, takes from yours truly, uh, opinions about what's going on in the sports world. I will put those out there too. So check it out. Check it out. Argue with me. Yell at me. Tell me why I'm wrong. I had finally some, someone on Twitter Tell me why John Farrell shouldn't have been fired. Uh, and I loved hearing that. I thought he was stupid with his comment. But okay, that's good. Argue with me. Tell me why I'm wrong. I love it. Check out SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com backslash call it how I see it sports. That's where you can find all the podcasts. They're also on my Twitter page where you can find me tweeting in the Twitter sphere at Stephen A1 Norman. Uh, and you can also email the show at call it how I see it sports at gmail.com. So with a big week. Coming up in, in Boston sports, you'll see the tip-off of the Celtics on Tuesday night against the Cavaliers. Hopefully LeBron is playing in that game. He is dealing with an ankle injury. And also the big news from Fenway Park, Dave Dombrowski this year, uh, this week, I'm sorry, not year, this week, relieving John Farrell of his jobs. Those topics and more in the next episode of Call It How I See It. And I'm out.